0: This morning, I've got a table instead because I got some props at the end of the sermon, so try to stay awake to the end and stay with me all the way through there. The mission of our church, our purpose, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in your life, our purpose is to help you, to enable you to become a mature, growing follower of Jesus Christ, serving the Lord. Now, uh, how are we doing at that? How do we we gauge, how do we measure how we're doing personally and how we're doing as a church? Well, today, I want to share with you two diagnostic numbers, two measurements that are sort of spiritual indicators uh, to some extent of, of how we're doing personally and how we're doing as a church. If you go to the doctor, they'll take a couple of numbers that they believe are indicators of physical health. Now, they may take several numbers. If you do a blood test, they may take numbers for cholesterol and blood sugar, but basic numbers are, if you go to the doctor, almost every time they take your blood pressure and take your temperature, don't they? Almost every time. And, and so they believe that those, are, those numbers are foundational indicators of how your health is physically. Well, the two numbers spiritually like that that I want to talk about this morning are church attendance and giving. Those function in the same way about spiritual health. They give us a little bit of an indicator of whether you're following Christ as a disciple. Now, they're not full-fledged indicators. We're after something more deeper than that. What I call those those, uh, numbers of church attendance and giving, those are religious indicators. Uh, They seek to measure religious transformation. When you become a follower of Christ, you're to be changed. And they measure some religious transformation. Am I now coming to church and giving? What we're after is deeper than that. We're after moral transformation. We're we're after the, the changing of your soul in integrity and purity and love. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're really after is moral transformation. But that's a little harder to measure, isn't it? You know, how do we measure if you're loving your neighbor, if you're, if you're walking in integrity? Uh, so, they're indicators. Now, these two measurements, these religious indicators, can be faked. You can be doing these two things and still not have that moral transformation. Before we look at our main passage this morning, just want to show you for a moment where Jesus said that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious people of Jesus' day. And they did, they had the religious indicators. They had the numbers there, but they didn't have the deeper moral transformation. So some of us who are coming to church and giving maybe like them. In Matthew 23, verses 5 through 6, Jesus said, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, that was two religious things the Old Testament told them to do and uh, about binding the Word on their arms and about the fringes on their prayer shawls. They made them big. They wanted people to see them. And then the next verse says, they loved the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. So they came to the place of worship, to the synagogue. They were coming, but they were coming for the wrong motives. And so they had the numbers there, but, it didn't, but they didn't have the deeper story. Also in Matthew 23, 23, same chapter, another verse, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you see there, in that verse, it talks about religious transformation and moral transformation. And they had the religious transformation. They were good tithers. They were giving a tenth of their money to God. That was good. Jesus said you ought to do that, but he said there's something deeper, that moral transformation, that you don't have justice, mercy, faithfulness. That's what we're really after. So uh, I'm saying up front that these numbers don't tell the whole story. We're after something deeper, but it's the same way with blood pressure. You can go get your blood pressure checked, and sometimes it's great, and there's still something wrong with you, Right? But that doesn't mean they stop using that as an indicator of that discipleship. Because these two areas of church attendance and, and of giving, the reason we want to measure those is they're foundational indicators of have you gotten this idea of lordship over time and money? Because to be a follower of Jesus is that he's Lord, he's master. And so, t- two tangible ways of examining that is he lord over your time? Is he Lord over your money? Those are indicators that you're moving along the path to discipleship. And I've never known a growing mature disciple who was not evidencing those numbers. I've known people evidencing those numbers who were not mature disciples, but I've never known a mature growing disciple who didn't in some way evidence those numbers. So, let's look together today at what the Bible says. What are we supposed to do? What's the standard? What's the measurement? What's the ideal range for your spiritual blood pressure? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 1, we're going to take this a phrase at a time and go through these verses. It says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Let's take that first phrase now about the collection for the Lord's people. So Paul, on his third missionary journey, was taking up an offering from the Gentile churches to give to the Jewish believers in Judea who were having hard financial times partly because of famine, the Bible tells us, probably also because of persecution. And Paul wanted these Gentiles, that is non-Jews, to to affirm and to show unity with their Jewish brothers, and so he was taking an offering. And so he had already told them about this at Corinth, and in this letter, in the last half of of 1 Corinthians, he's answering questions they ask. You can go back to chapter 7, verse 1, we won't turn there, but he says now about the, the items that you wrote about. And he talks about marriage. And then in chapter 8, now about. It starts with those same two words about uh, meat offered to idols. And then chapter 12, now about. Chapter 14, now about spiritual gifts. Chapter 15, now about the resurrection. And so here he comes, same two words, chapter 16, now about. He's answering their questions. So they'd asked, okay, we're supposed to be giving. How are we supposed to be doing that? So he answers the question, now about the collection for the Lord's people. There are two reasons you ought to be giving. The first one is an act of worship. God's been good to you. God has blessed you and a way that you show your gratitude is you give back to Him. Second reason mentioned here is because of a need. God's work needs your support. And that's what was here. So first of all, you give even if there is no need. That, That reason isn't mentioned here. But we give even if if the the work of God needed no money because it's an act of worship, but there's also a need. Now about the collection for God, the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Galatia is in modern Turkey. Corinth is in modern Greece. So here you have international cooperation of, of churches, a network of churches doing missions. That's just what Tim announced a few moments ago that we're doing in our world missions offering. Some people say, I don't like denominations. Denominations aren't in the Bible. I don't like these denominations. Well, listen, 55 AD, the very beginning of the Christian movement, there are networks of churches in, in different countries working together to support missions. Call it what you want to call it, but right here it is. They're networking together, and that's what we do as Southern Baptists. We give through what we call the cooperative program. We give 12% of our budget every week in the offering that you give because we believe in, in missions and we network with other churches. We give a total of about 18% of our budget every week. goes beyond our church to missions through our mission partnerships uh, with the st- churches that are being started, Good Samaritan locally, many, many other things. Same principle here. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. I want you all to cooperate in Turkey and in Greece to help these Jews in Judea. Verse 2, on the first day of every week. On the first day of every week. Now here's the frequency. Here's the timing. Now why did he want them to give on the first day of every week? Well, because that's when they were meeting together. Early Christians, just like us, here today on Sunday, meet on the first day of the week. Why did they do that? Because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and it became the day of Christian worship, and it's mentioned in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16 and Revelation 1, and that's why we meet on the first day of the week. Some people say, well, why did they change from Saturday to worshiping on Sunday? These people had never worshipped on Saturday. These are Gentiles. Paul went to the synagogue in Corinth. You can read it in Acts 18. And they turned him away. And he said, so I'll go to the Gentiles. This is largely a Gentile church. They'd never met on Saturday. Jewish believers would still meet on Saturday. That's great. But the church meets on the first day of the week. They didn't have it off like you do today. After work, they were coming on the first day of the week. So let's talk about that gathering on the first day of the week they were, they were meeting every week and I want to encourage you first of all as an indicator that, that you make a commitment that I'm gonna give lordship of my time to God and the first day of the week I'm gonna have my family here I wanna to talk to you dads, husbands, moms families you're here today w- would this be a part of so that you would make a priority that you're gonna be here the first day of the week Set that priority in your life because there's such a value in the habit of church attendance for your children and for your family. I've shared this before. When I was growing up, they used to give perfect attendance pens for coming to Sunday school, and I got a two-year perfect attendance pen, and they pinned that thing on me, and I thought, why in the world are they giving me this to me? I have done nothing. I'd have gotten beat to death if I didn't get in that car every Sunday morning. <laughs> what, why do I get it? I had no choice in the matter. You know, I don't know why they're giving me anything. Uh, so, but, but, you know, it didn't hurt me, and you know, when I raised my kids in this church, they were here 50 weeks out of the year, we'd be gone on vacation, they were here 50 weeks, and you know, it really didn't hurt them that bad. They didn't miss a lot. We'd go camping, and we'd, we'd go be back on Sunday, or when I was growing up, we'd go camping at Blue Ridge Lake at the campground, and we'd go from the campground to church because the first day of the week was a priority that God was Lord of our time. Now what they're telling us in America is happening today is that church attendance is declining, but the, about the same number of people are going to church in America as they have 40 years ago. You say, how can that be? How can church attendance be declining the same number of people going to church as 40 years ago? Because the same number of people are going less often than they did 40 years ago. And we used to go three to four times a month. It was a regular routine of our lives that established the rhythm of our lives. And now the same, peop- the same number of people are going Two to three or one to two, our affluence. We've got so much more money to spend. and so the gods of pleasure and the gods of our money have trumped our commitment to the local church. And so we fit God in when we don't have anything else to do. And so the average sized church in America is 100 members. And so when they were coming three to four times a month, then you had a church of 75 to 100, a sustainable, viable church. But now when they're coming one to two times a month, you have an attendance of 25 to 40, and it is the less sustainable, and that's why churches are dying in America, part of the reason. So how are we doing? What are our numbers? What's our spiritual blood pressure? What's yours? I'm challenging you today to say I'm going to have my family. And I want to say to those of you whose kids are grown, some of you, you brought your kids faithfully to church. Man, you made them like my parents did. And then they're gone. You're an empty nester. You're a senior adult. And so you've just sort of slacked off now. What were you doing? Was it just for kids? Is that what you're teaching your kids? It was just for kids? Do you not need to worship the, the living God and give him priority in your life as well? So how are numbers? What are we doing? Well, there, we have 1,200 members in our connection groups. Now, we don't have any way of measuring worship attendance, which is larger than uh, by a little bit than connection groups. We don't have any way to measure that. So our measurement is connection groups. We have 1,200 members. And uh, every week, I get an, uh, a printout of those of you who have not attended in the last three Sundays in a row. If you've missed more than three in a row, I get a printout of those names and I pray for you. And um, uh, because you know, if you hadn't been here three weeks, you're breaking that rhythm. Now, you may have to work. You may have been on a really good vacation. That's a good vacation. Uh, you, 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 know, you may have a, a sick parent that you're caring for. Obviously, there's some of those things. But, it's, but there's either a crisis event we need to minister to or, or, or you're on a great vacation are there's there's your discipleship? We're concerned there. So usually that list is about 300. Usually that list is about 300 out of 1200. There'll be 300 names. Last month it's been about 400. 402 is this week's number. 402 out of our 1200 members have not been here in four weeks, more than than three weeks. And see, my concern is there. That that disciple, you can't serve in a church if that's your case. And my concern is that your discipleship uh, is not growing there. Now, on the let's talk about the other part of it. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So Paul is saying for this offering. I'm going to come collect it, we're going to take it to Judea, in the meantime, every time you meet on the first day of the week, I want you to be giving, and you're going to set it aside as a church so that no collection will have to be made when I come. And so he said, I want each one of you to give. So here's, I want to challenge you, if you're a new believer, you've experienced Christ, and now part of the religious transformation that God wants to make in your life, he wants you to get in church. And he wants you to begin to give. Because that giving is going to show that I recognize everything's come from God. And he's Lord of my money. He's Lord of all my life now. And I'm going to give back to him. And it says each one of you. So I want want you to know, I counsel some people who are in financial trouble. And I I encourage them to begin tithing. You say, why would you add another bill when you're already in financial uh, trouble? Because I believe that you'll do better on 90% when you honor God than 100% when you don't. I believe you'll do better on 90% when you honor God than 100% without honoring Him. And, and so it says each one of you. I encourage families, teach your kids. Each one of you. Is that what it says? So in our train-up on our website, we have a, on our website teaching material to what you ought to teach your kids spiritually every year. One truth to teach them every year. Do you know where we put money in that? As we've looked at child development and as we've looked at and talked with experts about where that ought to be. We put it for first graders. So the year you teach your kids about money is very early in the game because you want to lay that foundation early in their life. giving them an allowance and then teach them to give part of that allowance back to God. And that will be one of the best things that you can teach your kids. Each one of you set aside that sum of money. And that set aside is the word theraso- uh, the saradzo. we get our word thesaurus from, a storehouse. Same word in Malachi 3.10 about storehouse giving. So you bring it into the church. It's church-centered giving. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Now, so how are we doing there? What's our, our, our blood pressure, our temperature there? Well, we have 496 family units who are resident members of our church. 496 family units or households. I asked our financial secretary to look year-to-date. Our financial year begins September 1st, so we're two months into our financial year, September and October. How many family units in our church have given uh, year-to-date? 293. So 293 out of 496 is 60%, about 300 out of uh, 500. 60% of our family units have given something in these first two months. I want to talk to those 40% of you who are here today. <laughs> I want to challenge you. I want to say to you, yeah, we, we need your money. We're $20,000 behind in our budget. What happened last year, same thing. We got behind in, in, through the first half of the year, and uh, we were $40,000 below our budget. And then people gave in the last half of the year that we met our budget or came within $1,000 of meeting it by the end of the year. I don't want us to get in that again. We need your giving. But it's bigger than that. This is an indicator of your discipleship of where you are. And he says, each one of you. And so I want to challenge you. If you're not giving, I know that's scary. You're a new believer and you think, man, I'm not making it on the money I got now. One of my favorite testimonies of one of our deacons is that he began tithing when he got lost his job. He started tithing his unemployment check. And I said, why in the world did you do that? He said, it wasn't working the other way I was doing it. I decided to try it God's way. Is it really working without God? Why don't you try it God's way and just see? So I want to challenge you to trust God. It'll be the fir- one of the f- concrete steps of trusting God in your life that you begin to give. I want to challenge you to do that. Now, how much you are supposed to give? Let's go on in this verse. First day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So there's the, 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 the amount. In keeping with your income. The Bible teaches proportionate giving. We don't all give the same. We don't all make the same. And God views gifts proportionately. I don't have time to tell you the story of the widow who gave two, two coins. God views giving proportionately. So what's the proportion? Well, the basic proportion, we saw it in Matthew 23:23, 23, 23, where Jesus said, These you ought to do, religious transformation, and not neglect the other was the tithe. That's the Old Testament. That's taught So basic Christian giving, there are many who give a percentage far more than that, but basic Christian giving is I'm going to give 10% of my income back to God in gratitude for what he's given me. So how are we doing there? So we got 496 family units. How do we figure out how many of you are tithers? I don't know what you make. So I asked our financial secretary to tell me how many people Last year, so now not year to date, that's just two months, that's a small sample. Last f- fiscal year, 12 months from September to this past August, how many people gave at least $1,500 to our church? Because if you make minimum wage, seven twenty-five dollars an hour in Tennessee, you make $15,000 a year. So a tithe of minimum wage is $1,500. So, uh, how many people are giving a tithe of minimum wage? 496 family units, 214 family units gave over $1,500 last year. So that's 40%, 214 out of 496. So 40% of the families in our church have bought into this, well, it's probably lower than that, frankly, because some of you are making more than minimum wage. And so it's probably, you know, but I'm, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt right there, you know. So 40% of our church have bought into what God says about proportionate giving and have done so of what would be a tithe of minimum wage. So I want to talk to the other 60% of you. We need your help. We could more than double what we give to missions. We could double every minute. We could triple. We could almost triple because I think probably the number of tithers then, 40% of minimum wage, I think probably 33%. We could triple our budget, triple what we give to missions, triple what we do for God in every area if you would come up on board and take that step of giving a tithe. We need your help. You need that growth in discipleship. I'm asking you to talk about that with your family. I'm asking you to pray about it, that you'd begin to take that step in your life. And then he says, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. That's just a church budget. Some people say, oh, the work of God ought to be spontaneous. Paul didn't want it to be spontaneous. They wouldn't get enough for these, these people in Judea. And so he said, I want you to plan this. I want systematic giving. that You you save it up. You have a plan. You save it up. No collection will have to be made when I come. Verse 3, then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction uh, to the men you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. Integrity, accountability. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they'll accompany me. How did they do? So did they do this? Let me tell you what happened. They started this offering. We know this from 2 Corinthians. I'm about to read you. They started this offering. Then they had trouble. Some people got mad at one another in church. There were some factions, there were divisions, and they quit giving. You know what happens when you get away from the Lord? Some of you have started giving. There's been a time in your life when you gave and you came every Sunday. And and you know what happens when you get away from the Lord? Your giving quits first, and then your attending begins to slack. Those are our two indicators. And generally, your giving begins to slack, and then your attendance You know what happens when you come back to the Lord? Your attendance starts back and then your giving starts back. That's what happened at Corinth. They quit. Paul sent Titus two trips. Paul wrote a painful letter. They repented of their sin. Their church became united again. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to tell them to finish the work. We, had a, we got a title of a campaign from that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Here's our, my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. So I want to call those of you that you've sort of gotten away from the Lord. And your attendance is slacked. And your giving is slacked. You need, to come, you need to come back to God. And this won't tell the whole story, but it's indicators of where you're moving in that right direction. This could be a turnaround day for you. Turnaround day for your family. I ain't got time to read you. Romans you can read it. Romans 15, they completed the work. Paul wrote to the Romans said, I'm taking the offering because they finished it. Okay. So let me circle back to discipleship as we close out here. I had a toy train when I was a kid. Any of you have a toy train? Lionel train? Now i got grandkids, so I got them a train. The only good thing about having grandkids is you can buy toys. The only thing i found good so far. So... Uh, So I got a train here, Lionel train, and got each piece labeled. This is the engine. We're going to let this represent favor with God. It says favor with God right there. And uh, we're going to let the caboose, that's at the end, represent heaven, okay? I want to go to heaven, don't you? Heaven at the end there. Got a boxcar, and the boxcar represents religious transformation. That's what I've been talking about here today. There ought to be some transformation in your life, these two indicators, it's important how you get this car in the right order, this train. It's important it's in the right order. You know what some people try to do? They try to put the boxcar in front of the engine. And they say, I'm, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to church, I'm going to give money, and I will earn your favor, and I'll go to heaven. That's how some people try to hook up their train. You ever see a train like that? That train won't move, will it? Box boxcar can't pull no train, right? Boxcar is not going to lead a train. That won't work. You know what some people try to do? We've got a tanker car that says moral transformation. That's the even deeper transformation that we're after besides religious transformation. You know what some people try to say? God, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to stop running around, and I'll win your favor, and I'll go to heaven. Tanker car can't pull a train. You ever see a train like that? That, won't, that tanker car, that won't work, will it? You got your train hooked up wrong. Let me tell you where you got to start in the train. you got to start with the engine. And let me tell you, the engine is the grace of God, the favor of God. And the good news is you'll never earn it, but God's favor is upon us. God loves us even though we're sinners. God will forgive you today, and He will come into your life today. The favor of God is ours. And that's how you begin the train. you have got to have another car, and the coal car is conversion, justification by faith. If you'll receive that gift of fav- God's favor— Your response to His favor is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and that will produce conversion in your life. The free gift of God's grace. By grace, we're saved through faith. And some people think that this is their train. I experienced God's favor. I've been converted. I'm going to heaven. That's not much of a train. You ever see a train like that? Oh, maybe occasionally you have. But a train's meant to pull something, isn't it? And so what God's plan is is that the grace of God, received by faith, produces conversion, which leads to religious transformation, that's church attendance, and that's tithing, which leads to moral transformation, that is justice and mercy and righteousness and purity, and it leads to the kingdom of heaven. And that's how God hooks up the train, and that's what needs to happen in your life. Some of you are right here. You've never been saved, and you need to see the favor of God is upon us. If you'll receive it by faith, you can be saved today, and I'm going to invite you to do that. And some of you have got this part of the train, but it's not worked out into the lordship of your life, and there must be religious transformation. That's what I'm calling you today, specific commitments. I'm going to be in church, and I'm going to begin to give. And then some of you have got this part, but you're a Pharisee, and God meant for it to go deeper. And what he meant for it to go deeper is that these you ought to do, but also justice and mercy and righteousness. And it leads to the kingdom of heaven. And that's how God intends a Christian life to be. Would you stand with me at a time of commitment? <clears throat> so where are you in your train today? Today I want to invite you to walk forward while we're singing to say, I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. I want to become a, I want to." I want the favor of God on my life. I can't earn it, but I can receive it. Would you receive it today? The grace of God. Some of you have done that. But today where you stand needs to be a change religiously and morally in your life. And I invite you to do that. If you want to join our church, make other decisions, you come as we sing.